Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. My name is Alan and with me as always is Gareth. Shut the door! <laughs> Hello. Uh, not the most obvious quote that people are going to immediately <laughs> recognise, I think. But yes, today we are talking about Dinner Ladies, Victoria Wood sitcom from the late 90s. Yes. And uh, just a very quick basics here. Uh, series one, six episodes. Late 1998, followed by Series 2 a year later, crossing over the millennium uh, from really? November 99 to January 2000. Ten episodes for the second season, for some reason. I was wondering about that. I mean, you say just for some reason, because it is odd. Six series, six episodes in st- standard first series, but then ten. Mm-hmm. It just seems unusual. It's a bit of a mystery. Victoria Wood certainly didn't seem to enjoy having to write more episodes from oh, the really? sounds of it. It's like she'd struggled with the second series a bit, I think. There's a bit of mystery over why it stopped. Mm. This definitely seems that Victoria Wood kind of had felt like she'd done what she could do with it. Okay. Did they put more episodes in to give it a kind of a finishing run? Okay. As, as opposed to cutting, just cutting it off? We'll get into this later, but towards the end of the second series, it definitely feels like they're bringing things together and it, it's, yeah. a, it's a definite ending. There's, there's men, Victoria Wood mentions at some point, like years later, that the BBC axed it... I don't think that's true. Hmm. She and she said before that she decided to stop it. So there's a, that sort of doesn't quite add up. You know, in terms of viewers, you know, you're talking up to 12 million viewers in the first series. The second series was getting 13 million viewers. So the BBC, uh, we're not going to axe this. It's it's a cheap, yeah. relatively easy thing to make. It's got a great cachet, ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah. People like it. There's no way they're they're going to axe this if the Victoria Ward wants to do more. You know, usually, Alan, you ask me what's my memory of these things because I'm the old one. But, you know, you're old enough to have watched this. Did you watch this when it went mm. out? Do you remember it? I think so. Yeah, I certainly remember it from the time. And I want to just set this out straight away. I do enjoy Dinner Ladies. I've enjoyed rewatching it and I laughed a lot. Mm. I'm putting that out there now because I think I'm going to have a few negative things to say. Oh, really? <laughs> um, not like terribly negative, but I think I'm going to get a little bit nitpicky. And so well, that's okay. We can, we can stand that. that as, uh, I think the format will survive here because I absolutely loved it. But actually, I don't remember it. So I remember Victoria Wood. So I was born in 1975. So Victoria Wood was, you know, a sort of big TV star of the 80s and 90s. She had Victoria Wood on TV, had those sort of uh, stand-up come sketch shows with her regular cast of of characters. And I I thought, Mm. you know, like everybody, I thought she was brilliant. But then by the time Dinner Ladies came around, well, what, how would, I would have been 22, 23. Drunk. You would have been Yeah, drunk. drunk. I was living in London <laughs> and, you know, wasn't watching mainstream television anymore. So, uh, so no, I completely missed Dinner Ladies. It completely passed me by. And I had not seen a single minute of it until we started watching it for this. Really? Not, not oh, a second. Wow. It was a real treat for you then. It, it, was, it was a real treat. I loved it. That's interesting because as, as much as I enjoyed Dinner Ladies, it is of its time. It's kind of that last bastion of old-fashioned three-wall sitcoms. Yeah. You know, obviously we still have them now, but just as the royal family and the office were coming through and kind sure. of changing that world, this was very much rooted in old, the old school. I can see what you're saying. But obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a person who likes those old sitcoms anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah and and without jumping ahead too far, what sets this apart is just the writing is sublime. You know, the, mm. the, the, yeah. the dialogue is amazing. And, that, you know, it, it doesn't feel like a traditional sitcom in that sense. But I know what you mean. It is set up like a traditional sitcom. You're saying it's too well written. For, for yeah, I suppose I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> All right, well, let, let's let's get into it. Um, let's go straight into the episode that we've picked, because I think it'll, it'll lend itself to just uh, branching off quite naturally into yeah. some talking points. We've gone for series two, episode two, which is titled Trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, all of these episodes, incidentally, at the time of recording, are all on iPlayer to watch. So I would definitely recommend you go. Yeah. Well, I recommend you go watch this episode, but bloody hell, watch them all. Yes. Yeah, so this is just a good episode of you kind of we get all the characters, we we see what they're up to. There's a little bit of continuing plot, a little bit mm-hmm. of episodic plot. Nice example. So was, I think this is a good one for us to look at. And straight away. The intro, no fuss at all. There isn't really much of an intro at all. Mm. We just get a little bit of action. In this case, it's just Bren on her own. A a little tinkling of piano (laughs) of the theme tune and uh, the the title. It's almost incidental music, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe that was a bit different for for 98. Was 
we still had a pretty kind of solid, you're going to have a 30 second intro with a song and yeah. a load of clips kind of vibe at the, at the back then, didn't we? Yeah, definitely. But that's something, for example, The Office, you, you know, was, well, they had a proper song as well, but it was all a bit more of a low key intro. Hmm, I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to sort of see how that. It is an interesting decision. Across. It is a decision. It's all very low key. Look, here we are in the kitchen. Let's get on with it. And straight away as well, we get, uh, uh, apart from the title of the episode, we get a date. Yes, every episode is dated. I think it might just be series two. But definitely in series two, there is much more of a sense of passage of time yeah. and that we need to know what the passage of time is. So in this case, it says what at 21st of June, whatever it actually is. Yeah. So the next episode will be three months ahead yeah. or whatever. But then when we get to the Christmassy period, we get one episode set at Christmas, one Manalium. episode set at the New Year, one episode set straight after. But we need that kind of progression, and it does play into the continuing plot. Mm -hmm. Several months need to pass by, nine months, uh, more specifically, if, without giving too much away of what happens <laughs> yeah. later on. Um, so we need that passage of time for the continuing plot, but it's unusual to really put a date on that. That is not something that sitcoms do. And I'm not sure it's really necessary, other than you're going to have moments where you go, hang on, that was only four weeks ago when that happened. Mm. How is she having a baby now? I wonder if that was added later. The producers wanted that on there to sort of handhold I don't think people. so, because apart from anything else, in this episode, Bren keeps going, oh, first day of summer, 21st of June, you know, she mentions the date very specifically. Uh, okay. yeah. And of course, later on, the date is very specific because it's Christmas and New Year. That, but that's a definite choice that Victoria Wood has made. And so if I dare jump mm. into criticism straight away, one of my first criticisms <laughs> is that, and it it's similar to how I felt about the second series of Time Gentlemen, Please where I said Richard Herring, because he was churning out episodes very yeah. quickly, started relying on ongoing character plots rather than individual episodic mm -hmm. plots. That's definitely what's happening here as well. But why is that? I, I don't have a problem with that in principle. If it's done badly, it's done badly. But that's not. That, I don't think it is here. Are you saying you don't like that in principle? No. I think it's not traditional sitcom. But that, mm. again, that doesn't really matter. That's fine. And I think a lot of sitcoms will have something that's feeding through even if it is just oh you know these two characters will they won't they yeah kind of on again off again type of vibe but you never kind of need to reach a climax with all that but that's fine and i'm not even saying it's necessarily a bad thing but it's more to do with it's a writing crutch because it's mm. easier to write continuing plot than to come up with a new thing every time, every time, yeah. every time. It's easy to have your characters grow rather than finding a way for them to be interesting without really growing. That doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah, it's not the Krypton factor, you know. We're trying to be entertaining here, not, not some personal challenge. It's not Sudoku. <laughs> but... Yeah, like I say, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. It can be done well. This is still a very entertaining show. Mm. But it's, it's creating a limitation. There's only so far you can take that. And if you're mm. only going to do two series, then fair enough, right? Does it affect your repeatability? Is it as easy to watch just what a random episode of Dinner Ladies on UK Gold? Oh, great, I'll watch that. Mm. Does it affect that? I don't know. Well, I accept that, but I don't feel like that's a negative. I'm all right with that. If it's not a negative, I could live with that. <laughs> <laughs> so do we want to talk about Victoria Wood before we get into the character she's playing here? Yeah, well, let's do it. I think this episode, we, it's nicely set up. All the characters sort of arrive one by one. So we can talk about the, mm. the, the, the actors, the characters as they appear. And yes, our opening scene, there she is. There's Bren, there's Victoria Wood on her own in the mm -hmm. kitchen. So let's talk about Victoria Wood. All right. Well, you, as you've already said, Victoria Wood... Really came through in the 80s, didn't she? That was when she was on TV all the time. Mm -hmm. Had her own shows and everything like that. But um, she had a break. She won New Face. Was it New Faces? New Faces. One of those yeah. shows. New Faces, 1974. She won it. She won uh, She won something on that. Yeah. So started there. She was still quite young then. She born in 1953, so she mm -hmm. would have been early 20s. The next few years, I guess, honing her craft. But then we start to see her as early as the early 80s. Really more of a writer than a mm. performer, if anything. It always seems like she preferred writing to performing. And writing plays, a lot of yeah. light-hearted kind of comedic plays. Yeah. And at a time when on TV we still had plays, which I just don't think mm. we do anymore. I don't really watch TV. I might be missing I know something. What you're you see quite early on in her career, like late 70s, she met Julie Walters. 
I think the first time she worked with Duncan Preston is sort of early 80, 80, mm -hmm. 81. You start to see her assembling a kind of a troop yeah. around her, yeah. these actors that she loves to keep come back to. And we're going to see quite a lot of them in Dinner Ladies. Yeah. And that's great. You know, I think there's a value to that. We we see it. We've seen it with other lots of other people. Richard Herring again. You know, works with the same actors a lot. Well, let me let me just let me just cut in this idea of her as a writer rather than a performer. Mm. I, I think I agree with that. And thinking about those sketch shows that she did, they were sketches in the sense that I suppose you could define any sketch as a small play, couldn't you? A one scene play. But, but they were kind of, they were written, you know, they were really wordy. And again, the dialogue was the thing that really sold them. There's this specificity in her dialogue, you know. So, for example, in this episode, there's a line where she says, oh, I've got footballer's legs. I look like Nobby Styles." You know, I, I get the impression that she sat and thought, right, well, which which footballer's name sounds funny? And she might have experimented <laughs> with Bobby Moore and, you know, and come up with Nobby Styles. It feels like there's a lot of thought that goes into those specific lines, you know? Yeah, there it definitely is, and there's a, a real mastery of language. And there was one epic. There was it, this wasn't in Dinner Ladies actually. It was, it was from Victoria Wood Presents that I was watching, and mm. she was talking about someone burning books. But she says, "Oh, she'd take the Swan Vestas to that." It's like she didn't say mm. she would set fire. It was like this kind Not of even this, the matches. Yeah, exactly. A sort mm. of evocative language, you know, poetic even. Yeah. The obvious comparison here is alan bennett there's a real mm -hmm. kind of yeah same vibe there i think there's a if you when you when you see ronnie barker kind of stuff the stuff he wrote yeah. which when he's when he's really playing with language there's a it's got that vibe to it although when victoria wood does it and alan bennett does it it feels less playful yeah. it just feels like character rather than you're going for a joke yeah. again if i'm gonna be nitpicky negative it feels like all the characters speak like that mm-hmm not that they all have the same voice. They all have very distinct characters, but they all have a the similar way of yeah. speaking. One note I've made here is that there are a lot throughout the series, but in this episode as well, there are a lot of sort of incidental characters who are only in one scene. And, mm. and even they have great dialogue. You know, these actors who've come in to do one scene on Dinner Ladies and they've been given this utterly wonderful script yeah. to, to, to work with. So what's Glenda for then, Norm? She talks me through it. It's a muffin, Norman. It's a yeast-activated bakery item. It holds no power. Interesting, then, Glenda, in counselling bread-based panickers? No, but I've gone camping a lot with Methodists. You pick it up. <laughs> so, so every single person who walks into that canteen is, has got this voice, which, yeah, you're right, yeah. it does, does feel a little unlikely. And it, it gets away with it, doesn't it? It doesn't oh, feel yeah. like, oh, yeah. this has all been written by the same person. Like, it feels okay, but especially as because I've been watching this, I've gone back and watched a bit more Victoria Wood stuff from the 80s that mm. I've not really seen that much before. And it's like, it's the same. <laughs> and it's remarkable how many of these characters I'm seeing in Victoria Wood Presents, in yeah. Pat and Margaret. Like, Duncan Preston's character in Pat and Margaret, it's not the same as what he's playing here, Stan. Ah, uh, I better not. The mother and so forth. Oh, well, where are you mopping, gents? There's been an overflow, level two urinal southbound. They bleed me over from northbound. You're in demand with that mop. We have it to do. But there's definite similarities. Sure. Is that just using the same actor and he's bringing something to it? Is it not? I don't know. The The, the exception to that is Julie Walters, who seems to be different mm. in everything she does. Well, we'll um, get to Julie Walters. But yeah, we'll get yeah. to that later on, yeah. But yeah, so but speaking of Julie Walters, in, in 1982, Victoria Wood was given her own sketch show. It was like, okay, look, your own TV show. And she kind of demurred and said, well, can it be me and Julie Walters? So mm. Wood and Walters was a sketch show that ran for one series. And I think yeah. that's very telling of Victoria Wood doesn't particularly like to be the centre of attention. Well, in those, you know, Victoria Wood on TV, there would always be a section of her doing stand-up, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah. talking directly to the audience. And she was a talented, she was perfectly fine at that. But you can't imagine her in a comedy club dealing with hecklers. But, but I don't think of her as that type of stand-up comedian. Well, I, I don't know about, did she work the clubs in Bolton? I, I'm not sure. But, and maybe you have a, a different view on this as being a bit older. It feels to me like Victoria Wood is totally separate mm. from everything else that was going on in the 80s. Yes. She's not the old guard by any means, but she's not part of the alternative crowd. She's not the kind of anarchic Rick Mail type. No, of she's comedy. not alternative comedy. I, I tell you, I, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a great um, comparison, and the comparison starts at the very beginning on New Faces. Lenny Henry, 
Lenny Henry is a contemporary mm. of Victoria Wood. So he wasn't yeah. that old-fashioned club comic, although he was kind of, you know, at the start of his career, he was brave in those clubs. And I, I wonder if Victoria Wood was as well. But then he never, you know, he's adjacent, uh, in a very direct way, Lenny Henry's adjacent to the alternative comedy uh, boom. But he was never really part of it. And mm. I think Victoria Wood is the same. All of those, yeah. like if you talk to, you know, French and Saunders, they would regard Victoria Wood as something of a hero, a trailblazer. But they never worked with her, or, or maybe they did, but but not consistently, not in the same yeah, way that that yeah, alternative she wasn't comedy part crowd. Of that little troop, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And perhaps there is a reason for this. You know, there's a reason Lenny Henry was not part of the norm. <laughs> dare I say? And Victoria Wood as well. You know, Lenny Henry was black. You can't just walk into in the seventies, walk into a club, mm-hmm. and and be a black comedian. You can, but you really have to prove yourself yeah. there. Not to mention he was about 15. <laughs> and yeah. Victoria Wood, again, new faces. She was still very young. Yeah. But also, she's a woman. It's a different world. She's a working class woman as well. Even French and Saunders struggled, but they'd you know, they been to... They were mixing in the right circles, shall we say. But let's not pretend that French and Saunders weren't out of the ordinary when they came mm, through as well. Sure. They are the top of the tree, and we remember them now as if they've been there the whole time. But that was unusual in yes. the 80s. yes. But Victoria Wood as well, it feels like Victoria Wood is working to a different demographic. Victoria Wood has an o- a different audience. Yeah. It's not your old northern club comic audience. It's not your alternative student audience. It's middle-aged women. <laughs> middle-aged yeah. kind of working class women or lower middle class women. And why she was... Why she had that audience when she was 25 <laughs> and when she was 55, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm not... ch- I would challenge your characterization, w- w- women. I think, I think you're, you're, you're right. I think the principle you're trying to make is, is right. Yeah. But I, think, I, I don't think it's a female-skewed audience. Our, our dad loved Victoria Wood. But that is, that is the trick, isn't it? To represent mm. and to serve a demographic without making it feel niche. Yeah. But look at Victoria Wood's material. 90% of these characters are women, yeah. not just in Dinner Ladies, but yeah. in her previous work as well. She's writing about women. She's writing for women. Yeah. She's writing about women who are stuck in the home, are stuck with a husband, who are who mm. are having to work a crappy job just to pay the bills. No, you've hit on something here, Alan, because in, in the 80s, who else was? Exactly. You've got you've got your alternative comedies, alternative comedians. It's kind of it's just anarchy and students mm. and the, and that kind of lower middle class. We're about to take over the world. Yeah. New Labour kind of vibe. And then you've got your old school working class male comics. And you know you go to a, a club in yeah in Bolton in nineteen seventy four. There's loads of women there. Yeah. But it's a man's world. There's no women getting up doing well. There were probably a few, but you know it's mm. not the norm. Yeah, but it's it's not you can never present anything too black and white here. But yeah, Victoria Wood was tapping into something that perhaps nobody else was, and found that audience. Yeah, okay, you convinced me. I think that's a good analysis. Yeah. So Victoria Wood was doing stand up in, in the mid eighties. She started doing like proper stand up tours, mm-hmm. going around the country and, and selling out shows and everything. Yeah, but I think that's different. I, I it's, it's she's doing the work, but it's not the same as going into a comedy club and yeah talking to a room of drunk people who don't know who you are. Yeah, yeah. But she was already well-known enough to, to be able to do that. That was fine. In 1984, she moved from Granada, where she'd been making her previous stuff, obviously, you know, northern Manchester mm. base. She moved to the BBC. So that's a big step. She, You know, it's a new contract. She had more creative control. Mm-hmm. And she had enough cachet by that point that she could make more demands. Um, yeah. And so that, that's when we get Victoria Wood as seen on TV. That was mm. her BBC show. But that only ran for like a couple of series and then a special, I think. But we we start to see those regular players, most of whom we'll, we'll talk about later mm-hmm. on in this episode. Do we get Acorn Antiques at that point? That's where Acorn Antiques comes in. On we we should talk TV, about Acorn yeah. Antiques. Obviously, it's a pastiche of a soap opera rather than a sitcom. But it is, you know, I, I think it's, to, to me, Acorn Antiques is the, is the first sitcom that Victoria Wood wrote. <laughs> Yeah, so throughout As Seen on TV, there's one sort of Acorn Antique sketch in each show, mm. I think. And then it kind of has a bit of a continuation, like there's a continuing plot going on there if you actually watch them all. Yeah. But yes, it's a, it's a parody of crappy soap operas, um, but it, uh, it really has that three-wall, um, that three-camera setup kind of vibe, uh, stage set, TV show. And it is a sort of loving pastiche, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's very affectionate, isn't it? 
I definitely think Victoria Wood likes this thing. The, the fact that the the one sitcom, real sitcom that she wrote, laid into that so heavily is mm. not just by chance. You know, I think yeah. she wanted to make that a classic sitcom. Yeah. So just after that, we in, in 1989, a show that was originally just called Victoria Wood, yeah. which they kind of changed to Victoria Wood Presents, and it was six episodes, each one a kind of half-hour sitcom-y vibe. Okay. With Victoria Wood as the connecting tissue between them, but it's it's Victoria Wood, a sort of or a character based on it. It's like Hancock's Half Hour, you know. It's I kind see. of it's her and there's people around her, and that only ran for one series. And and unlike anthology series like we've seen Ronnie Barker's Seven of One and things like this, it doesn't feel like six pilots. Let's see what works. It feels <laughs> like six short comedy plays that are very okay. self-contained and have this kind of characters revolving. And Victoria Wood, uh, her character is kind of just dropped in as a not the central focus. She's just kind of there to bring it to life. And there's a lot of that going on through her work of her not putting herself in the in the central position, not giving herself the best lines and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, she was, yeah. which is represented by interviews with people who know her as oh, she was very selfless, always gave you the best lines yeah. and stuff like that. I think it's more from the point of she's prefer to be a writer than a performer. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> a performer wants the best lines. A writer doesn't care who says them. Yeah. And but the interesting thing about that Victoria Wood show was that it was filmed single camera no mm. no audience. Ah, there's okay. there's a laugh track on it. I think they played it to an audience and got some laughs for it, yeah. but you know, it was not recorded in front of an audience. It was not, you know, acted in front of an audience and basically she did not like that experience and okay. jump forward 9 years Victor, uh, Dinner Ladies is, you know, absolutely done in front of an audience. Yeah. I think that is very important in that kind of growth. And there's lots of, we've talked before about sitcom performers riding the laugh and, you know, having yeah. to pause. There's, there, there are several occasions watching Dinner Ladies where it's awkward. They're having to pause so long because the laughs are so long that they, mm. they're still standing there almost thinking, come on, come on, come on, let's go on with it. Are you Brenda? Bren? Yeah. Answer me one question, love. Where's my Clint? Sorry. If we can wrap up Victoria Wood a little bit before we actually get into the dinner ladies, the show. The other thing that I would really identify with Victoria Wood is songs, comedy songs. Yeah. And perhaps a little surprising that there's only really one musical in her career, and it's the Acorn Antiques musical (laughs) that they did in 2005. First, they first did it, and had a lot of their main, a lot of the original cast came in to do it, including Julie Walters. You know, which is not, you know, not to be sniffed at. Apparently, Victoria Wood, who did not take the role, you know, that she played in Acorn Antiques, someone else did that, but she played Mrs. Overall. Uh, for okay. matinee performances for the original run of Acorn Antiques. I see. <laughs> just, to, just to have a bit of a go at it, I guess. <laughs> so with all that in mind, let's get into Bren here, who is seen at the beginning of our episode bustling around, running the canteen uh, all on her own, as usual. And th- there is, I think there is a line of tragedy in this whole setup, which... I don't think is deliberate. I think it's my perception of it. Mm. But I look at these characters and I just feel sad for their lives. <laughs> okay. Here they are, you see, in their little uniforms. I think it's lovely they don't all just give up and throw themselves out of the window. Overwhelmed by the pointlessness of their existence. <laughs> now, people have jobs, my... Alan. This is how people live. <laughs> I know, but I've tried doing it and I couldn't do it. I've lived this life and I hated it. And I had to... Yeah. But is that my privileged middle class? Yeah. So now you're an actor. Good for you. <laughs> oh, got a podcast, have you? <laughs> it, but, but Brenda is a deliberate tragedy to Brenda's life. She's sure. had a... She had a bad upbringing. She's brought up in care. We, we, we see her mom who's a very poor mother and she's unlucky in love. But she she lives in a bed sit alone. She lives, she has mm-hmm. like a crappy life. And yeah. But she's always the first in at work. Yeah. She does everyone's job for them. Like, she, oh, don't worry, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. She makes up for other people's failings mm. and doesn't see it as a burden on herself. It's just what she does. Yeah. She's a doormat. Yes. 
she is. And I think there's a tragedy to that, which it's definitely acknowledged as in it's a deliberate choice. Mm. But I don't feel like it's addressed that directly. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I think is deliberate. I think this is Victoria Woods writing. She's presenting kind of life, the life of people yeah. she grew up with, the, th- the people she's seen around her. It's And it's a working class life. It's a northern life. You know, it's a, it is a very sort of specific thing, but with themes that people will recognize. I found that the character, Brenna, I found it annoying how reluctant she was or how reticent she was to be happy. Like in this yes. episode, you know, she's got this opportunity to go on holiday and it turns out there's a mix up and she can't go. And she's just like, oh, well, never mind, you know. I don't deserve to go on holiday anyway. Oh, for God's sake, woman. <laughs> yeah. But then even with the continuing plot, we don't, mm. we do by the end, it does kind of get there, but we don't really get the sense of she's growing and she's becoming stronger as a person and all this. We, we get there, but it kind of suddenly happens quite dramatically yeah. at the end. And I, I know Victoria Wood is writing this because those people are there. Those people exist. She's writing a character that she knows. She's writing yeah. these these things. But it's it, it's frustrating <laughs> to yeah, watch, it isn't is. it? And she's such a likable character. And then even when she stands up to someone and she, she'll say, like, no, you can't do that because of this, she'll kind of go, oh, oh, I'm sorry about that. But uh, she sort of apologizes with them yeah. in her own rant. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny, you know, this is that that's that's what we want, I suppose, ultimately. <laughs> I, I, still, I still think that, the character of Bren is the smallest character in the kitchen. And that's that enables all the other cast, all the other characters to sort of orbit around her. She's a stabilizing force. Mm-hmm. N- not just narratively speaking as a character, but also in this world uh, of, you know, if we were taking this as a real workplace, you know, that she's the one holding it together. Yeah. Including the manager of Tony, of Tony who we'll come on to. So let's talk about what he does uh, at this workplace. We'll get workplace back to him. <laughs> we'll well, as I said, in this episode, we've got people arriving one by one. So let's take these characters in the order they arrive. So we talked about Bren. And the next one who comes in is Stan, who's the sort of janitor type caretaker character. Mm. Yes. Played by Duncan Preston. Duncan Preston. Of course. A Victoria Wood regular for some time, and a, and a great actor. You know, we this the storyline that we're presented with immediately here is Stan comes in and he says, "Oh, I want to thank you for looking after my dad when he had mm. collapsed." This is out of nowhere, okay. And this is one of the things we get from Dinner Ladies is we we don't really see much of their personal lives outside of this. We get these little glimpses. But we don't we we don't see anything outside of this. Like there are no other sets. We have these two sets. The kitchen, and then the other side of the shutter, the, the cafeteria. That's it. Yeah. Everything in this entire series happens within those two rooms. And I really like that. That is I, I that do. is absolutely a purist sitcom sense. It's yeah. it's one set really. They've got a kind of dividing line mm. to give it a sense of two, but really it's one that we have. There's only two occasions where we see anything outside of this room, and they're both in the last episode. It's where oh, yeah. Bren's on TV and Petula's living will. Both of which are seen on TV screens in this yes. room. So we yes, get so they were filmed them, elsewhere, but we, but we are watching out. them from the set. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that is about as pure as you can get, sitcom-wise. Really nice stuff. And, mm. and, and it does take some skill to write that, because there's lots of things that happen in this canteen where you think, eh, you wouldn't have that here. This <laughs> meeting would happen somewhere else. Yeah. But it never feels alien. If you actually think about it, it's like, hang on, that doesn't make sense. But it never feels wrong. Sure. And that's that's good writing right there, you know. But it does also give the impression that these people never leave work. <laughs> yeah. Bren certainly never leaves work. Yeah. Sorry, we were, to- we were talking about Stan. We were talking about Duncan Preston. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Duncan Preston before we get into Stan? So I, I know Duncan Preston. Uh, I saw him appear in a small role in the Porridge film that we watched recently. But apart yeah. from that, I really only know Duncan Preston as one of Victoria Wood's troupe of actors. Yeah, and that's interesting. You know, the, the Porridge film, 1979, that was before he was sort of really big name actor. He worked with Victoria Wood all through the 80s. But I saw him fairly recently when we watched The New Statesman, and he nice. crops up in episode of that. Two lines, you know, that was it. And that was 198, that was 10 years later, 89, sure. after his sort of a uh, bit more of an established name. But even by 89, he's still doing jobs where it's like, okay, well, you know, Mm-hmm. Two lines, one day's work. Yep, fine, yeah. I'll take it. You know, he's not an established name. I think I'll probably change by 89 because that's when he got a regular role in Surgical Spirit, ah, yes. which was his first kind of regular sitcom role. And he makes you a bit more well-known when you're, when you're on something like that. Yeah. Uh, that ran till 95. So Dinner Ladies was like the next kind of well-established thing. Yeah. But he, he's fairly typical. Even by the Porridge film, that period, he's already in his 30s by then. He was mm-hmm. more of a stage actor, I think. So... 
uh, well established on the stage. At some point, connected with Victoria Wood, obviously they they worked together for a long time. And what did he do after this? Well, he was in Emmerdale for a long time. Ah, actually, right, as okay. a regular, that for, like in the last sort of ten, fifteen years. Oh, that's interesting because you, you often there's obviously a lot of Coronation Street connections here, which we'll get to. But but it's interesting, you know, you could you could have been in Coronation Street for fifteen years, and I wouldn't necessarily know about it. So yeah, exactly. You know, those 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 gigs are they make you very well known in certain circles, don't they? Mm. Well, he was he was a, he did have a little run in Coronation Street. Don't worry, they're all in okay. Coronation Street. But uh, but yeah, he was in Emmerdale. There's a lot of that here. You'll see all these actors are kind of northern they're, apart from celia and me but they're all kind of born in manchester or yorkshire or lancashire like things like that mm. duncan preston was born in bradford actually this is a northern production and, that, and that's something you'll see a lot with victoria wood's work as well mm-hmm. duncan preston is kind of one of those faces you see in things but elevated slightly because of those couple of regular roles that he had and worked with victoria wood but uh here he's playing stan i love this character i want to say duncan preston is brilliant in this and he is, but I, again, it's the writing. It's, it's the words yeah. that he gets to say that are, that are fabulous. And the way, he, you know, the way he performs it is also great. I, I think it's a really good performance. Hey, the toilet paper dispenser's playing up again. Yeah, you tug and you only get one piece. Well, that's not adequate, you see. It's supposed to be three sheets per tug. <laughs> with attention on my spindle nuts. <laughs> And there's this kind of minutiae of detail in what he likes. He'll like he'll start talking about what type of screw head something's yeah. got, you know, like yeah. or which that specificity again. Yeah, but the, I think what Duncan Preston really brings to this is that this is a character that could be a, a, a very kind of like oh, I tell you, the, the best toaster is the G four sixty five. It yeah. was made in nineteen seventy eight. It could be a really kind of this character is the boring man. Yes, and he manages to do all that while still imbuing it with a great deal of personality. Yes, and of a, a likability. L- likability is the word. Yeah, uh, yeah. All, everybody, everybody loves Stan. Uh, by which I mean all the characters. You know, they love Stan. He's not. He's not. Oh God, he's Stan again. And so do I. I think he's great. Yeah. I'd like to work with Stan. And he's reliable. He's loyal. Yes, he'll let, he won't let you down. He'll tell you if you're doing something he doesn't like. Like yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah. he won't mess about with you but he'll also forgive you if you say oh sorry Stan I didn't mean to do that mm-hmm. and but there's again if we want to start talking about the tragedy of these characters Stan lives with his father yeah. and Stan is in his well into his 40s and a single man and doesn't seem to have had much uh, of, a, of a love life or of a life really mm-hmm. he lives in the shadow of his father and when we first sort of start hearing about this character, it feels like, oh, yeah, this dad character is, mm. you know, a big part of his life. Then when we see the dad, there's one episode in the first series where all the, the mums come in and then Stan brings his dad. We get a few cameos there. Eric Sykes is his dad. Yeah. And what we find is that the character is a bit of an oppressive dickhead. Yeah. Like he, he, What he's doing is telling Stan that he's not good enough. Yes. And that's their relationship. And it's portrayed as this, well, he's an old school kind of guy. That's what they do. That's how they live. But we get a lot of this in Victoria Wood's work in general, but in Dinner Ladies, oppressive parents. Well, that episode where all the mums and dads, where all the mums come in and plus Eric Sykes, we've got Thora Heard there, Dora Bryan. There's there's a whole whole cast of of cameos. But yeah, none of those parents are nice, are they? <laughs> yeah, they're all oppressive in some way or another, and they're all and and there's a lot of the specifically what Thora Heard does. You see a lot of that mm. in Victoria Woods, undermining, where it's just like you're not good enough, you're dis, you're a disgrace kind of vibe. Yeah. And then obviously we have the Julie Walters character, who's just a terrible yeah. mother in general. I don't know what happened in Victoria Woods' childhood that made her write these characters so consistently. <laughs> but what I wanted more of, perhaps, is basically what happens. In this episode is that we see Stan's dad has had a collapse and there's a lot of it, it, there's a bit of continuation here where later on he dies. Yeah. Stan's father dies. And what happens is Stan suddenly has a great deal more freedom. Mm-hmm. He manages to start a relationship. Yeah. He, he can start to live his own life. But we never we never get him saying, Do you know what I feel terrible about this? But actually since my dad died, my life has improved significantly. Doesn't need to be said, Alan. Not everything needs to be spelled out. Yeah, well but but the other thing is, when Stan's dad dies, there's a little moment near the end where Stan he's written a poem 
and he he kind of basically the poem is like um i know i was never good enough for you dad i'm so sorry now you're dead i can't i i i wish i'd done more for you mm. and everyone kind of goes oh that's a lovely sentiment as if it was this kind of nice touching moment and i just thought this is horrible <laughs> this is a horrible tragic moment and he can't he can't escape from the yoke of this man even though he's dead it's horrible <laughs> And I don't, I can't tell if it's not, if I just want more fight back <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, you know, you but, That's that, what you want. <laughs> but Victoria Wood is writing real characters and real people don't have these dramatic emotional moments of realization. They have no, they don't. crippling lives of debilitating relationships with their parents <laughs> and their loved and the people they chose to marry. I love the way you almost said loved ones then and changed it <laughs> to people <laughs> they chose to marry. Oh my God. <laughs> You are the heart of stone. <laughs> so I, I think I find it slightly frustrating. And I and I want them to just, you know, break free the, the, the bonds and and run away. I, but that's not real life. And, and Victoria yeah. Wood is wanting to write something that represents real it's life. It's verisimilitude. These are exaggerations, but they are true life characters. They're, they're yeah. living, breathing characters. So let's just jump back into the plot. Stan, we find out that Stan's dad collapsed and Bren was a a great help at the time. And so Stan is thanking her. He gives her some flowers to thank her. Um, mm. it, it, I don't know quite. This doesn't all make sense. Why is Bren there with Stan and his don't, dad? Don't think when about it too Why was Stan not there? Why was Bren the one doing all the help? I, 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 I don't know. Just one line would have been like, oh, the one night I chose to go to the Wheel mm. Tappers and Shunters Club. And that's when my dad collapsed. You know, it just needed a line there somewhere, I think. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's very finicky of me. But very typically in this process of Bren, you know, he's giving her flowers and he say, oh, thanks for all your help. And she's like, what, what did I do? Yeah. Like, well, you, you called an ambulance and like sat, sat, sat with, with this him. old man yeah. for hours to, to make him feel better. It's like everyone can recognize that that's a nice thing to do, even if you think, well, obviously you're going to do that. But she can't see it. It's just. It's, it's not it's, that she's it, playing it down. It's that she doesn't see it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's and that's Bren right there. Yeah. That is her yeah. in a nutshell. Lovely introduction to that character. So, who do we get next? Uh, Philippa. Philippa comes in. Philippa from HR. So, Celia Imry, mm. another like Duncan Preston, another uh, Victoria Wood alumni. Oh, that's mm. my, that's not right, is it? Alumnus, alumna. Celia Imry. Yeah, and so Celia Imry as is the character of Philippa, is a bit of an exception to the rest of this troupe. She's from a very different background, and that character that she plays is the same thing. She's kind of an outsider yes. in this world. And it creates a nice little bit of friendly tension in, in the group. Yeah. When she, so she appears in the very first episode as this new HR director, HR person. Mm. And she's a little shunned because she is this outsider. But, you know, very rapidly she becomes part of the group. And, and there's almost a sense that, yeah, she's from down south, but she's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so Celia Emery yeah like you say it's like you associate her with Victoria Wood more than anything else don't you mm. but she's I mean she's done loads of stuff she's just one of those faces you see we've you know, seen her in a couple of other things as well Did we, was it New Statesman we saw her in as well she pops up in the New Statesman yeah. uh, Rick Mail shags her over a desk I think she's like the, the PM's receptionist or whatever uh, she was also into the Manor Born uh, yes that's right that's what I'm thinking of but she also she's Probably more akin to drama as, as well mm. as comedy. She's mm. she, you look at her CV. She's in loads of stuff. She's just working all the time, yes. stage, TV, you know, all that sort of stuff, and seems to be successful in all that. She writes novels as well. You know, she's just one of those people okay. who just seems to be working all the time, writes things. In terms of sitcoms, one of the only sort of real major regular roles was After You've Gone with Nicholas Lindhurst. Oh yeah, I, I don't, I've not seen that, but I think we've talked about that before. She's, she was also, well, hang on, I was going to say she was married to another sitcom person, but she, they were never married, but they've got a child together. Benjamin Whitrow, who we saw in The New Statesman. You'll know his face. In The New Statesman, he played the leader of the Labour Party who puts on an Irish accent because uh, it I know makes him yes. more working class. Got, got them. Yeah, and he was also in the radio version of After Henry. He played the, uh, the okay. guy who owns the bookstore in the yeah. radio version. For, I don't know why he didn't do it in the TV show. So no. we've seen him a couple of times. They've got a child together called Angus Imry, who is now quite a well-established actor in his own mm -hmm. right as well. Yeah. Not really comedy, though. So she's institutionalized in, sure. in the kind of TV. and, and, and uh, Annoyingly successful, let's say. And there's so many people in this cast who are borderline national treasures. Yes. 
And I think Celia Imri, Celia Imri is like one major role in a sort of period drama playing the yeah. playing the nasty older woman from from being a national treasure, you know. Yeah. So Philippa here doesn't do much uh, in terms of plot in this episode. She's just sort of dropped in. But the one thing we sow seeds for here is that she's unhappy in her relationship, yes. which I'd kind of forgotten about. We established in the first series that the reason she's come up north is because her fella is the boss of the company mm-hmm. and she's kind of come to take a job here to, yeah. so they can live together. I'd kind of forgotten about that, to be honest. And <laughs> so when, when we come to this episode, she's like, oh, it's a bit boring. I'm not very happy. And, uh, yeah. and we get more of that as it goes along like I say in this continuing plot mm-hmm. they eventually split up and she gets a new fancy man yeah nothing really comes of that in this man. episode does it you know we, no. we see that later on in the series but in this episode that doesn't go anywhere yeah it's just dropped in here but it yeah. it still works nicely because you've got a work colleague who comes in is like oh Bren you're a good kind of agony and I'm gonna tell you my problems and then you've got Stan there and she tries to say something to Stan, and he's like, oh, God, sex, women, oh, no, I don't know how to talk about that. <laughs> Can we stick to toasters? <laughs> and then, you know, walks away. It all works. It all feels like this natural dialogue. And I think it's something that I get more of from the first series than the second series of just, they're on a tea break, they're sat around chatting. One mm. of them's reading a magazine and going, oh, look at this, so-and-so's done this, and they're kind of having a bit of a gossip. Hey, did you see that film on Sunday? On Sky? No, on real telly. Dirk Bogart. Oh, because on Sky there was this film about this woman whose husband died in this avalanche. And two years later she finds his sperm in the freezer and gets pregnant with a turkey baster. Good. <laughs> I think we got more of that in the first series. The second series, we're leaning into plot development, character arcs. Right. And that's kind of what where I'm nitpicking about that. I think I prefer them just sitting around talking. But yeah. I will grant you that it's a lot more difficult to write. Yeah, okay. So who do we get next? Next, we do get Tony. So Tony's like the canteen manager. Mm. What is that job? What does Tony do? Well, he doesn't do a lot, does he? Put shutters up, girls. That's, that's yeah. And, and sexually harass everyone. Well, yeah. Okay, I wanted to bring that up. The very first episode, the first thing Tony says, he like, walks in and he's like, oh, get your knickers off. Let's, uh, let, I've, I'm, I could do with yeah. a bunk up before we get to work. You all right, Brent? Did you get any? What? At the weekend, did you get any? Any sex? No, I had to cut at laundry. <laughs> Completely inappropriate. It treads a fine line, and I think when he first walks in and he says it, you're like, ooh, especially like 20 years later, it's like, ooh, hello. But you very quickly establish that this is the rapport they have. Yeah. Everyone is comfortable with it because they know they're safe with Tony. He's not, he doesn't represent anything like a real threat to these people who know him personally. Yes. As an outsider looking in, it's like, ooh, what's that bit weird? Yeah. But in 1998, it was different anyway. It was yeah, a different time. It was. So I think that sort of thing would have been viewed differently anyway. Yeah. But also, it, it is very clear when we actually get to know the character that it's not quite as pesty as you think it is. Yeah. But I again, I think it's representing a certain thing. This is a man in a woman's world here. This is a, a female-dominated work environment. But the man is in charge. You know, the man is yes. the manager. Yes. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even though he is not the hardest working one there by any means. Yeah. Is Bren a manager? Is she I think, just I feel a like worker? she's a supervisor, but she might not be. She might just be the one who's been there forever. There's never any official mention of her having any authority over that. Maybe she just, they all respect her on that level. But yeah. Yeah, she must be the supervisor. It feels like Tony's the one who's on the phone making the orders, making sure the yeah. numbers add up and all that. She's the manager of the actual kind of worked day-to-day stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that that's a man doing that job. And I don't think Tony has worked his way up there by working on the till at the no, cantina. I think you're absolutely then. right about that. Yeah. Even in 98, I think that was a little bit old-fashioned, but that's what Victoria Wood is writing. I think these Mm. characters are not of a different time of 98, but they are not, and perhaps this is just a working-class thing, your working-class northerners working in a canteen are not the same as your BBC elites who are writing shows and are kind of putting forward, this is what a society is like. Yes. Victoria Wood is writing what society actually is rather than what we're trying to project it to be. Yeah, I think that's an interesting 
I think you're right. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, let's what, what, tell me about Andrew Dunn because I I don't know this guy at all. Yeah, I I, I would probably say the only thing I know him from is this, <laughs> and um, this is his most famous role, and it raised his profile significantly he was already in his 40s you know at this point so it's not mm. like he was a young up-and-comer there's a couple of actors in here where it's just like this is the first really significant role they've had and it's like okay they're really good for this part we've workshops some stuff they're working really well with us whatever it is yeah it's a mix of that and her old school kind of troupe mm. uh, and this is yeah definitely even even now his most prominent role i think he did he played Alistair Campbell in, in a lot of Bremner Bird and Fortune stuff. Right, okay. I remember him from that as well, around the same sort of period. Uh, that's the other thing that I like my go-to. I've seen him in another Victoria Wood thing as well. He was in Coronation Street for about 18 months as a regular on that, uh, you know, after this. Most recent thing I sort of found that he was in, he was in a stage version of The Full Monty. Uh, oh, playing okay. one of the principal characters from that, the um, the Tom Wilkinson character. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he, he's not exactly gone on to to be a household name, has he? It's, no. it's this. This is what I know him from. But he's he certainly worked a lot more after this than he did before in terms of TV work. Anyway, he he seems happy enough, um, you know, with what he's doing. Some little interviews I've read with him, he certainly seems uh, happy with his career. Good. Okay, so we, we Tony arrives. Next one in is Dolly, Thelma Barlow. So let's, Ooh, yeah. I mean, Thelma Barlow's probably the, the most obvious Coronation Street link here. Yeah. So talk to me about Mavis Riley. <laughs> okay, yeah, so. Can I, just before we, before we get into the meat of this, I think she is brilliant in this. Yeah. I think, she, I think she's amazing in this. I think she's the best, she's the best character. And, and I, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not going to argue Like, that. I'm not a Coronation Street watcher. Never really was. But obviously, I know Mavis Riley. Everybody knows Mavis Riley. Even if just from Les Dennis's impressions. Exactly, yeah. Everyone knows Les Dennis's impressions so, of Mavis Riley. So, I, you know, I, 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 that was the baggage I brought into this. But I, I think she's brilliant. I think she's really mm. brilliant. Well, I've never watched Coronation Street. And even if I did, Mavis was before my time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does feel like a, diff, a, a different world. But I've seen, I've seen her do it and, and all that. So, for me, this is Thelma Barlow. This is, this is mm. what I recognize her from. But it, what, if you're in a soap for 20 years, which is she, 25, 6 years, which is what she was, you're going to be identified with that role. Yeah. Inevitably. And... The fact that she did this straight after it, and I sort of saw passing mention in something that Victoria Wood wrote this character for her because she knew she was leaving Coronation Street. She was like, oh, I'll, I'll have you, <laughs> kind of thing, and wrote this part for her. And she is the sort of the, the dividing line between, like, there's a group of people who are fairly unknown and a group of people who have worked with Victoria Wood for 20 years. And she's the one in the middle. <laughs> yes. And you know we've 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 talked about this before. Coronation Street was almost a sitcom. It's it's yes. this close to being a sitcom yeah. uh, in a lot of its, t- especially some characters definitely leaned more into that than others. And I think Mavis Riley's one of them, which is why yeah. she, she was everyone did an impression of her. Mm. But she she joined Coronation Street in 1971, became mm. a regular in 73, mm. and left in 97. Oh wow! So that's a huge chunk of time. It's a huge chunk of time, and. She was born in 1929, although it does seem like for most of her career, she insisted it was 1937. <laughs> Fair. That's an actor's prerogative. Sure. Okay. <laughs> but that even that means that when she came to play Mavis Riley, she was in her 40s. Wow. So prior to that, it's a pretty old, your proper old school actor story, Amdram, Rep, uh, and then sort of just slowly, slowly moving up. Uh, and then getting, she was at the Bristol Old Vic. It's kind of like rep book, like high quality rep, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, just steadily moved up, obviously just proved herself each level and, and was earning a living. Mm-hmm. And then the Coronation Street gig and, you, and you, you sort of settle into that then. Yeah. So when she left Coronation Street, she was of an age, she was ready to retire. She was in her late 60s. Yeah. So. I, I don't think she was necessarily like, oh, I'm, I've got, it's about time I move on from the street and start doing new things. This drops on her doorstep and it becomes this great, what a lovely role. Like, yeah. spend a couple of years doing this. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And so since then, she's carried on working though. She's not, like, she's, she's still alive <laughs> and still, I don't know she's if she's working now, but she was doing a lot of stuff like after this and perhaps this role 
helped her escape that Mavis Riley Indeed. shadow and Indeed. just allow herself her to be to be something else. So, for example, in two thousand five, she was in a film called Mrs. Henderson Presents. I don't know if you remember that. I it do remember that. In Will fact, Young now you've it. said that. I remember her being in it. God, goodness me, yes, I'd totally forgotten that. Well, at the British Independent Film Awards, she was nominated because of her performance in that film for Best Newcomer or Most <laughs> Promising Newcomer. It was, she was 75 or whatever she was. Excellent. But because it was the first like significant role in a film. Her first feature, done. yeah. 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 <laughs> so, Brilliant. So that must be a record, surely, of the uh, <laughs> oldest newcomer. But, I like it. But, but like you say, I've got a lot of time for her here. And so well, what, let's talk about the character, character then, Dolly. She is waspish. She is really... <laughs> She's really bitchy. She's vicious, basically. But to your face and with a beautiful manner about her. Well, I, I mean, I don't mind what I wear. I think when you're slim, you can carry off a number of styles. I think we should ask somebody with bigger hips. Jean? <laughs> she sounds so polite, you never realise this. Exactly. Sense. But it's like a, a, a stiletto dagger between the ribs. <laughs> I think there's something of the hyacinth bouquet about her. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. She's a Daily Mail reader. We established mm-hmm. that quite early on. Yes, and and often, oftentimes we see um, we see her get a slight comeuppance, and Jean will make some sly comment about what her life's really like. <laughs> not not yeah. quite as posh as you're making out, and she doesn't like that. Well, she's doing a work. She's working in a work cant- a factory exactly. canteen. Yeah, yeah. She can't be posh. Like it is impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and there is even the Hyacinth Bouquet connection. We 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 mention her her son. Oh yes, and who lives? Who lives with another man? <laughs> lives, with the, <laughs> lives in a flat with a marine biologist. <laughs> well, what's his? What's her name? Marcus. <laughs> Marcus. <laughs> yeah, and we just get that little undercurrent. Her son's obviously gay. And we don't acknowledge it, or she hasn't quite accepted that. I mean, that's Hyacinth Bouquet, literally. Yeah. But also the way she treats Anita. We'll come on to Anita in a moment. But Anita is of Asian heritage, mm-hmm. and she treats her as if she's like just off the boat from yes. India you know yes. it's like well you're, you have a different but it's in a kind of very not a viciously kind of racist way but it's kind of like oh well you're of a different culture and I'm going to try and respect that but like actually yeah. she's not at all in a really horrible clumsy way <laughs> yeah. yeah she has a set idea of what people are mm-hmm but done in a sort of <laughs> such a terribly polite way that mm. doesn't seem offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I like the sort of ongoing, the ongoing joke that she's completely obsessed with calories and uh, yeah. today's a semi-skimmed day. Oh, well, to hell with it. I'm going to have full fat, you know. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for for this week. We're going to have to leave it there. Do come back next time where we will continue our discussion and look at the rest of the actors. In the meantime... Why don't you join us on the social medias? We are at BritcomPod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find us at British Sitcom History Podcast on Facebook. You can look at our YouTube. Also search for British Sitcom History Podcast. You'll find it. We do have video versions of the podcasts. So you can see some of the clips that we're talking about, that sort of thing, and other content as well. So do go and check that out. You know what? Why don't you, if you enjoy the show, go and rate and review us on iTunes and all that kind of stuff. Help spread the word a little bit. Let's do that. Okay, thanks very much, and we will see you next time.